Do you want to kick it off? I'll kick it off. Okay, welcome to Safe Space. We're here with Nancy Nangeroni and Gordine McKenzie, who are some transgender activists and environmental activists that we have been waiting for a good few weeks to get in touch with. So, Nancy and Gordine, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself for the audience? I'm Nancy Nangeroni. I'm educated as an engineer from the Boston area. Um, I came out as trans in 1990 and uh, began doing volunteer work at the International Foundation for Gender Education and gradually recognized that there was a need for trans voices uh, in public. And I was fortunate to be fairly privileged because of my work as an engineer. I was financially well enough off that I could uh, take risks that other people couldn't take in going public. And so I became in Boston, in Boston a lead voice for the transgender community uh, for many years. And, you know, one thing led to another. We did a, I did a radio show uh, called Gender Talk. We did that for 11 years. Gordine joined us after a few years. And I led the International Foundation for Gender Education for a little while. And yeah, I led Boston's Transgender Day of Remembrance for many years. Uh, and I just, you know, was basically a pain in the neck to people who didn't like transgender people. But I also w was very much one who advocated for giving everybody the space they needed to get comfortable with the fact of transgender people's existence. So some people will never get comfortable with it. They'll die uh, still uncomfortable with transgender people. And, you know, I, I, I think that's their right. People have the right to live their lives, but I'm going to argue, you know, on behalf of transgender people and hope to, hope to win everyone over. Um, I just don't believe in pushing too hard. But uh, anyway, uh, that's who I am. I met Gordine uh, in 1998 at the Texas Tea Party, and uh, uh, we were like two magnets. It just the attraction was so powerful; it was just undeniable. And uh, we've been together ever since, basically. <laughs> I've learned, uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I was educated as an engineer and I was not an activist in particular before I came out as trans. Um, and Gordine has taught me a tremendous, tremendous amount with her knowledge of women's studies and uh, gender studies and uh, American studies and sociology and psychology and all of that. So together, you know, I provide some of the technical know-how for us to do some of the things we do. And, and a lot more. <laughs> and and Gordine provides a lot of wisdom and uh, experience around social issues. I'm going to do a PS to Nancy's uh, intro. She didn't mention, and uh, hopefully we'll get into it, that she is the one that suggested that the activists that were able to, that had enough money to travel around the country, uh, go to the sites where trans people uh, were murdered. And they went to the Brandentina oh, yeah. trial, and she can get into that uh, a bit, but she is the architect uh, of that. Um, I am, I always say to the left of Nancy, she may be moderate. I am not. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I really probably push the boundaries a great deal. We don't want to live in a monoculture where everyone is forced to be the same. We know uh, from nature that biodiversity is where people thrive, and that's true with uh, cultural uh, diversity and the sense of trying to keep people in neat little boxes uh, based on a Christian fundamentalist vision of the the world is extremely problematic and honestly I never thought I would live <laughs> to see so much of the work that so many people have done uh, turned back so we have a lot of wild wild work to do. And I would add to that, Gordine's the author of Transgender Nation, which was published in the mid-90s, around 94, I think, and it became a seminal text for the transgender movement 
and a, it provided a foundation for uh, legal pro-transactivism um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, as, as we mentioned before, she's started the first trans support group in Albuquerque um, and has just been, at the, when, at the time we met, um, I wanted to meet her at this conference that we were at because I had heard that she was one of the leading trans activists in the Southwest. And that remains true. Wow. The book was dedicated to the gender revolution, and it was the early stages of the gender movement. Yeah. And my biggest hope is that it would be useful. I look back now, and it's so outdated in terms of the language and everything. Of but, course. you know, the wonderful thing is there's 50 billion galaxies of gender, and maybe we were only seeing a few of them back then, but now there are endless possibilities. Totally. Beautiful. It's amazing how you both, um, you know, are so congratulatory about each other's achievements, but you, yeah, but um, also have different kind of approaches, like politically, you know, you're saying, Nancy, you're more moderate and Godine, you're more uh, radical leftist. (laughs) I'm proud of it. (laughs) Godine is not moderate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, relationships are one of the key facets of our lives. And our, our culture doesn't really uh, support relationships the way it should. And, but Gordine and I have worked on our relationship. We've, we've worked on finding solutions to our points of friction and conflict. Uh, and it's been a challenge at times but we have a very strong relationship and a tremendous respect for one another. And that's why um, we want to boost each other. And that's how all relationships should be. You know, Mm -hmm. you should be wanting to boost each other as much as you can. And so of course we're doing that here. It's it's part of politics, a political act (laughs) in terms of how we live our lives. Yeah. That's beautiful, beautiful message. Having a successful relationship is in itself almost a revolutionary act. Well, yeah, these days. Maybe we should talk about that. I was going to ask, um, how did you two meet? You want to tell it? Go ahead. A lot of the work that I was doing uh, was traveling to conferences and talking about the way transgender people were, were treated. So I was, I was going around to different conferences and talking about this. And at a conference, I met the founders of the largest transgender uh, event at the time of the world who became dear friends, Linda and Cynthia Phillips. And uh, they invited me to speak at their conferences. And one of them- They made they made it fun. Yeah. So many of the conferences were too serious, um, you know, and, but they had such a wonderful sense of play right. about uh, mm. bringing people together to cross, cross-dress in public, which at the time was very scary for most of us. And getting scary. a whole hotel that was a, yeah. a, safe, a safe space. Which so was can amazing. I take over? And, yes, I, yes. I, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, so that's how I met them and got involved speaking at those We met at the conference. We were both there. Gordine was selling her jewelry. I had a table with IFGE's books and publications that I was selling. And at the end of the day, I went over to introduce myself to Gordine and she turned to face me and she had $20 in her hand that she was going to give to IFGE. Anyway, she helped me to make a nice speech the next night and to do a fundraising and we raised some, we raised First more money. First time we raised money for a transgender that, organization. It was funny. At that time, the <laughs> trans community would never raise money for trans yeah. organizations. They raised Her. money. They would raise money for gay organizations or other organizations that were, char- you know, doing charitable work of one form or another as a kind of outreach, as a way of, re- you know, saying to other people, look, hey, we're here. And we're giving you yeah. money and, you know, we're, we're not bad people. But this was the first time we ever raised money for a trans organization. Yeah, the so organizers wouldn't allow it. And I said to Nancy, I said, you gave such a wonderful talk. Uh, you should have asked for some money for the transgender community. She said, oh, the Phillips would never allow it. 
I said, well, I'm staying with the Phillips and they're dear friends of mine. So I went upstairs and I asked Linda and Cynthia and uh, Linda was a wonderful trans woman. Cynthia was uh, her wife. And uh, they were a great couple. They said, it, you can ask, but nobody else can ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I came down and Nancy and I plotted and planned uh, how to do it. And we raised, at the time, we thought it was great, $1,000. $1,000 was a lot at yeah. that time. For, for the transgender community. That Later that evening, there was a dance. And <laughs> Gordine bought me a drink. I was blown away. <laughs> it was like, I was not used to that. And uh, we spent the entire evening wandering the halls of the hotel. We had no room. We both had roommates, so yeah. we had no room we could go to to just talk. So we spent oh. the entire night walking the halls. Sharing a piece of gum. <laughs> That's all we had. <laughs> but anyway. And we realized we had so many things in common in terms of causes that we were working for and what our, our core beliefs were. We both had kind, gentle, generous fathers. fathers yeah. And so yeah. we connected on that level too. And we both had loved speed at one time, Nancy. Uh, on a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. And I used to drag race my 57 Chevy and beat all the boys in town and they couldn't, they didn't like it. So anyway, <laughs> when I was very young. <laughs> a need for speed. Okay. <laughs> a need for speed. So then how did it develop? How long have you been together? I had money as an engineer, so I made a commitment that we'd visit each other once a month because she was here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was in Boston or Cambridge. Um, and so we started flying cross-country every month. One or the other of us would fly to visit. And then in uh, December of that year, on December 25th, yes. for some reason I thought, oh, Christmas, nobody would be flying on yes. Christmas. You came out. Uh, flew out to Albuquerque. So I flew out to Albuquerque. We ended up driving back together to Boston. She came to Cambridge uh, to live with me. And uh, uh, a little while later, you know, we had to move slowly because I had a, a crew in place at Gender Talk and we didn't want to totally displace anybody. But over time, she gradually became my co-host at Gender Talk Radio. Uh, and she became really the producer because Gordine is fearless about calling people. She's socially fearless, whereas I'm I, I can't do it, but she would she would call up anybody, and so we would speak with senators and representatives and people from all walks of life. Oh, just, amazing activists from yeah. all walks of we life. Spoke, what was her name? The uh, member of parliament from Australia. Oh my goodness. We uh, we we spoke with people in Kazakhstan uh, and Kyrgyzstan, 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 in Tibet. Trans people. Just Nepal, people everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and they were raided while we were talking to them. They had a the Blue Diamond <laughs> Society in Nepal because I thought we should go really international uh, with the with the show. And uh, while we were talking, uh, uh, Sunil Pont, uh, they they got raided uh, by the by the police. But it was amazing to hear different different perspectives and to hear different voices and stories that that people had at that time. That brings up another thing about Gordine and I that works so well. She has an incredible memory. She remembers. I mean, she remembers Sunil Pont's name. I mean, it was. It has to have been 15 years ago that we did that interview and have had zero contact ever since. Whereas I work by distilling information and I look for underlying themes and commonalities and trends. Exactly. The show, I would have pages of notes. No one could see them because it was radio. <laughs> but I had pages of notes and I read all this stuff. And Nancy said, I want to approach the interviews fresh. Yeah, <laughs> so I want to approach like a naive... <laughs> does, exactly. that, does that ring for, for yeah. both of Some you? Of our, <laughs> Nancy, I think, is Emma there yeah. in that regard. So yeah. 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 It works great because some <laughs> listeners have no knowledge of the subject. Yeah. And it's helpful for, it was helpful for me as an interviewer to have no knowledge going in so I could ask good questions that would help those people. And whereas Gordine would lead us to places that I wouldn't have imagined. And, yeah. and you, too. you too. Great teamwork. Uh, it's given us hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you were saying you, you've met people from all over the world. Your radio show, I read that it was pretty internationally listened to. 
Can you tell us a little bit about the radio show, about like what your aims were with it at the time? I was dealing with uh, the media in Boston and the way they were responding to the murders of transgender people who were most often uh, uh, trans people of color, trans women of color, and the media coverage was not nice. Uh, it reassassinated them. Yeah, it was generally not sympathetic. And um, so I felt like we needed our own voice because people weren't hearing the truth about these issues, about these people. And so I happened to be a guest on a, on a queer show on MIT's radio station. I'm an MIT graduate with Deb Rich, who was um, hosted a show called Pride Time. And after interviewing me, Deb confided that she was uh, going to give up the show and asked if I would be interested in taking over the time slot. And so I said, yeah, and I put out a call to the local community for help. And I got this wonderful man, Hal Fuller, who had previous radio experience and- And was trans. And was trans. Yeah. He was, he was cross-dresser. And uh, we got some other crew. And so the purpose was to create a forum in which people could speak their truth and underrepresented voices could be heard. So that was the whole point. It wasn't to put out a particular message, although of course I put out the message I want to put out, but I, I really wanted this to be a place where everybody that we had on could put out the message they wanted, that they needed to put out. And so that was what it was about. And when Gordine joined, it just got so much better. There's a whole thing that happens when people come out in the trans community, I witnessed it so many times, and I'm sure it's true in the gay community and, and in so many ways, but when you've been repressing something for so long and when you finally come out about it, especially if you come out into a community that's welcoming and accepting and supportive, um, there's a euphoria that comes to the front. And there's this incredible upwelling of joy mm -hmm. and enthusiasm and good feelings. And so, you know, that's that's what I was writing on for a very long time. And that's what fueled a lot of my work is not only did I have that uh, internal thing of finally being able to drop all pretense and be myself, but also I was getting positive feedback for my work. And you were able you were able to write about the issues too. And you started publishing articles uh, yeah. very, very early on. You know, I, I, I just have a mind that I'm able to put thoughts together and make an argument. I, I should have been a lawyer, you know. <laughs> I don't know that I can write stories, but I can write can. essays. Can. <laughs> and so I began writing essays about the transfer because, again, I wanted to contest that media space where the newspapers were printing stories about a man in a dress and living a double life and masquerading and all this stuff. Um, I wanted to contest that space, and so um, not only was the radio a place to do it, but also newspapers, so I um, began writing and getting published as much as I could. It's what we've done for a long time. I, I co-wrote an article uh, that looked at print media and how print media covered the deaths of uh, three young transgender people of color, and, you know, we, we just wanted to to let people know, and then APA, I think a lot of people were doing this, uh, changed their their style. They said, you know, you can respect the person's gender because at first they said, yeah. oh no, unless they've had the surgery, <laughs> we're gonna call them by the pronouns that we wanna call them. Wow. You know? yeah. Was, yeah, that was quite a struggle over some years. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in Boston, we had a, uh, a queer publication called Bay Windows, yeah. which was New England's leading uh, GLBT publication and the editor refused to call Chanel Pickett, who was a trans woman murdered uh, in 1995, yeah. a trans woman of color. Uh, he refused to call her by fe feminine pronouns. Mm. Uh, no, she had been living as a woman for a long time. It was, yeah. it was, it was sad. And, and, and I had dinner with him. You know, I tried everything to convince him later, years like later, 10 years later, yeah. He wrote an editorial for the same newspaper, for the same publication, that in which he apologized. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's really interesting to hear, like, the severity of what misgendering was like. Oh, yes. In the 90s compared to 
now like it's a thing that offends people obviously like in their day-to-day life but to know that it was so aggressive like in the reporting on people who were killed in refusing to gender people correctly until they had surgery that was completely inaccessible at the time it's 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 kind of and and all of that fed into the trans panic response that people who murdered transgender people got off with yeah they claim to have thought they went home with a woman and discovered in bed Which really wasn't true <laughs> that they had male genitalia and then so they had to kill them in the case God, of chanel this pickett is, see this is something that i think yeah we we don't know about oh, you know yeah. like even a generation later talking about chanel pickett the chanel pickett case he knew uh, he was a software person uh he went home with her and he had frequented the bars where trans women hung out and uh he he, had very specific interests in trans women they had to have specific anatomical features yes for him they had to have breasts yeah but still have male uh, it was objectifying them and he strangled her uh to death and he got what two years one this was a case where yeah yeah, we we demonstrated outside the courthouse a number of times and the judge wouldn't let uh, trans people who knew him from the clubs and knew him as, as what we used to call a tranny chaser. He w- the judge would not allow people to testify, would limited the amount of testimony from oh. people of color from the club uh, in a racist and uh, transphobic courtroom. But finally... After all the testimony, after the verdict came down, he was he was convicted of assault and battery only. Yes. Uh, William Palmer was his name. William Palmer. At the final protest at the sentencing hearing, I finally said, every every time before that, I've been saying this guy's obviously lying. This guy's obviously lying, and never got any traction with the judge. But at the final one, I put out a pamphlet that said, even if he's telling the truth, even if everything he says is true. Still, there are these facts that she was killed and blah, blah, blah. And the judge finally turned and supported the victim and, and threw the book at him. Get, get two years in prison for assault and battery was an extreme sentencing. For assault and battery. Uh, for that. It was way beyond the norm. So, yeah, so he, the judge finally turned on that. And that was, that, that was earlier. a pivotal moment that you did that because the judge of course, was reading the media, and which in the media, they misgendered Chanel, yeah, Yeah. called her him, and said that when William Palmer choked Chanel to death, uh, he did it because she made a monstrous sound while he was choking her. So, I mean, it it was the monster image. It was the, I had to do it. I was with a monster, this horrible aberration. Back back in those days, everybody thought that trans people were sick. Yeah. That it was an illness. I mean, this um, is coming back. Don't you? This this kind of these ideas are coming into the forefront again. One thing that I find really shocking is how people can lose all sort of sense when this gender these gender binaries are removed. When this this idea of men and women are these biological like sets. As soon as you take that away, they lose all sense of like humanity when it comes to those people. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, people are trained. People are, are, are gender indoctrinated from a very early age, from the earliest age, in a lot of families, not in all families. But in some families, um, very young children are punished fairly harshly for transcending gender boundaries. Men don't want their boys to grow up to be sissies. Women don't want their daughters to grow up to be dykes. It can be and, tomboys till a certain age, then you're supposed to femme out and, and so, get married. <laughs> That indoctrination can sometimes be very cruel and harsh. And so many years later, as an adult, we may not consciously remember what we suffered as very young children, but those things can have a very powerful effect on us. When I was young, when I saw boys who seemed effeminate, I would be very turned off and I would distance myself from them. I would not want to have anything to do with them. And in part it was because I didn't want that part of myself drawn out because I didn't want to suffer what would happen if I got seen as a sissy. 
because you know then I'd get beat up and all those other things that I didn't want to have to deal with. So it's a very powerful force that is embedded in many of us from almost a precognition time of our lives. And so the force it has over us because it, it becomes unco completely unconscious and completely accepted that this is the way gender is and this is the way gender should be. It's one of the unnegotiated rules of patriarchy of patriarchy that we live by. <laughs> so this is why I love <laughs> Well, and you know, and you are so right and we are horrified. Uh, one of our presidential candidates, Ed DeSantis, has been a chief architect and saying that if parents get their young kids so-called uh, treatment, you know, allowing them to go on hormones, that that is child abuse and that they will be arrested. Yeah. I mean, it is it is hideous. We talk to young trans kids who uh, east of us in a small town that is very conservative. Uh, when the mother said, I'm so proud, I now have a daughter. And, mm -hmm. and talked about her, her transgender uh, child. Uh, they were run out of town. The church went after them. And she was yeah. really big in the church, but they moved into Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, they got totally you know, rejected. And, and then there are all, all the deaths. and But there's abuses. reason for hope. I mean, courts have recently struck down laws in various states across the United States, a bunch of states have enacted anti-trans laws and, and laws that say you cannot give children medical gender treatment. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. judges have now struck down those laws in every state where it's come before um, the high yeah. court in the state. So I think there's hope <laughs> for the future. I, you know, there's, so there's reason for optimism moving forward. But, you know, folks like you, it's your generation, it's your, your time. Hope. You're yeah, and you're, you're doing the good. I'm work. too old to do to do too much. You know, I, I get tired too quick these days. Um, so we need folks with your energy yeah. and enthusiasm, and your can-do know-how to step up and, and be vocal, are. be visible, and don't put up with hate. Don't put up with fear-mongering. Uh, we need to transform society, and this goes way beyond gender. It's particularly challenging with the dawn of AI, and I encourage you and all of your listeners to get familiar with AI, get comfortable using it, because the bad actors will be doing that. And AI is the most powerful tool that we will have seen in our lifetimes. It's, the Internet yeah. was incredibly powerful. Google is incredibly powerful. You use it to find out about anything. It's a wonderful tool. Well, AI is even better it's even more powerful and it's going to be empowering the haters it's going to be empowering the people that want to control us yeah. so the rest of us all need to come up to speed on ai it's pretty easy you can even ask ai if you go to chat gpt you can say how can i use you how can i get the most out of you for whatever your purpose oh, is talk really about your story I, I asked I'm, chat I'm gpt i'm a little more cautious <laughs> I, I asked chat gpt to write a story about ai taking over the world i write a 500 word story and it wrote this wonderful 500 word story about how ai took over the world yes and then it said oh and then the people fought back and then the people eventually little, won little tiny thing at, at the, the end. end and we're going oh, oh yeah so, oh yeah <laughs> we don't buy it <laughs> but anyway that's me from a technical perspective unfortunately technology rules the world and those who rule technology rule the world uh it's it's unfortunate um but it conveys tremendous power, and AI conveys more powerful, more power than any tool before it. So, sorry, I know I'm taking us off onto a tangent, but... It's a good point. There's technology for communication, and communication can change people's minds, which changes the world, right? Like, that is the we, bottom line. We always say that stories are the way that people yeah, change. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely, absolutely right. There's too much... There are too many lies being told. There's too many stories. There are too many falsehoods being told to too many people who are believing them. And that yeah. that's where we have to be contesting that space right now. We really need to um, find ways to disrupt 
those platforms that have become so popular spewing lies and hatred. I once wrote a uh, talk. I used to be a keynote speaker at the uh, Texas Tea Party, and it was called Discourse Interrupt. She, she was the <laughs> it was most a million, a million years ago, and I arranged for some of the key transgender activists. I said, I want you to come up and interrupt me, and I want you to start talking. You know, to to hear different voices, and and so so we did that, and it was great. She's very innovative. It's one of the things I love about her. Oh, well that, that's, that's <laughs> great. I love doing stuff like this. It's re I mean, you know, we're so powerful together and we complement each other. It reminds me of, you know, how powerful we can be oh. together. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, you're saying that it's, you know, our future. I think actually learning from the people, yeah. what people have done, like what you have done and reading about you and it, just this quote in this book and then finding you and then finding all these things you do is inspirational, you know, hmm. to to the next, to, to give us a good kick up the arse. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have a whole shelf behind a painting. Nancy made it for me because I, I love to do uh, video when I have the time because it's lyrical like poetry. But we have interviewed some of the key uh, transgender pioneers. We have it on uh, video. Virginia mm -hmm. Prince, I mean- We need to share all, some of that. Yeah, we should share some of it because uh, Kate Bornstein, I mean, all- Rick Ann Wilchins. Rick Ann Wilchins, just tons of trans uh, activists, pioneers who are older, some of them older than, uh, than we were, that we went and listened to their stories. Yeah. Yeah, you, we need to keep these archives alive, you know. There's a there's an archive called archive.org, which is where Gender Talk shows are stored. It's a free mm -hmm. online archive that uh, tries to is trying to archive the whole internet. Um, but it's it's free. You can archive anything there. So to anybody okay. who has something to archive, archive.org is an excellent place to put it. Gender Talk has been hosted there for 20, I don't know how many years, for a very long time. Um, and it will be hosted there in perpetuity, as far as I know. And we may not get to everything that we want to do in this lifetime and can't jump into the next dimension with it, but yeah. wonderful activists like yourselves and others may find some raw material uh, that might be useful. How is it in England compared to the U.S. with the repressiveness against queer and trans people? I think we're following very closely behind. It's like a mini America, you know. It's, yeah, it's watching is. what America it does is. and it's doing I, it. There's content creators that are like on the far right in America yeah. that specifically come over to Europe and the U.K. to get those kind of audiences. Mm. And yeah. so that's what it is. So it's... It's and just the, and the politicians like the the very American the Labour Party they are very much stepping in line with this anti-trans agenda. Really sad to hear because you would think if they are the Labour Party because of the oppression of of the workers. We had a wonderful interview many years ago. We had a Labour leader uh, that we were interviewing on the show, and a lot of transgender people went and helped Labour. So he began oh, yeah. to change his views of uh, what transgender people were. And I remember him making the comment on the show saying, I guess we're all a little bit transgender. And this was yeah. this very masculine male <laughs> labor leader. And we were like, yes. So one of, one of, the, things, one of the things that I realized early on in, in, in my work with the movement was that the trans community was very small. It was very difficult to turn out more than 20 or 30 trans people at a time. And the largest mm -hmm. conference in the world was 300 people. Yeah. Um, so I realized that we needed to form coalition with other exactly. movements. It's like community. You know, we're much stronger as community than we are as individuals. And we're much stronger in coalition than we are yes. as individual movements competing with each other for people's attention, for people's donations mm -hmm. and so forth. So the more that we can act as good partners, which means we have to show up for their causes too. Yeah. We have to show up at labor rallies. I marched for Puerto Rico statehood. We did yes. all kinds of stuff. Um, and we need to do that. We need to take up other people's causes 
as well as our own, so that they'll take up our causes. Indigenous rights. Indigenous I mean, rights we, we are so. A lot of oh my things. God! Now that I'm in New Mexico, we have yeah. such an indigenous population. I completely here. agree. Solidarity is the most intimidating thing to the right. I think. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Good. When, when we make our connections and and forge our our bonds and stand up to them. Yeah, to anybody who wants to really make a difference, who wants to increase their ability to make a difference, think in terms of reaching out to groups that would make good partners. And some yeah. people don't understand, some people that are even, you know, Democrats or so-called liberals and things, uh, they yeah. don't totally get it about yeah. queer and transgender. I think this or, is something that you cannot get you have to give people the chance to learn, right? Like we can't get angry at people for not knowing what they don't know. Very important, yeah. very important. And find out where they're located and try to yeah. try to reach them there. It's what I used to do with treat, my students. We have to treat yeah. other people, even those who, who hate us, we have to treat them with the same kindness that we're asking them to show to us. Yeah. I mean, it's really a very simple golden rule thing, right? Treat others like you want to be treated. And it really moves people when you treat them kindly, no matter what they say. I used to have good conversations with some of our staunchest opponents in Massachusetts. We're, we're in a culture that is extremely polarized right now. This is a very polarized time. And I think we need more moderates like myself. And we always, the moderates, though, it's important. And then uh, those of us who... Well, it's the yeah. radicals who provide the philosophical <laughs> understanding. A movement is like a snail. At the head, you have the head of the snail, you have the little antenna that are moving quickly. And those are the most radical people. And they're pulling the rest of the snail. And the tail of the snail is the people who are most resistant to change. They're, they're dragging behind. And then there's the body, it's the main body of your movement. But every, mm -hmm. every movement consists of all of these people. And it's really important that we not make each other wrong for not being a different part of the snail. I've been treated worse by people in the trans community than by anybody outside of it. That's <laughs> the truth. A, a segment of it. A segment. A small segment. Yeah. Of it. I think what happens is that we care so much about our trans community that when we have differences with somebody else about how we should be moving forward, those differences can become pitched battles and we mm -hmm. can lose, lose sight of each other's humanity. We can lose compassion for one another. The important thing is that we move beyond those things. We move beyond our differences. We remember that we all get traumatized. We, we all suffer from post-traumatic disorder because we're all coming from a society that has practiced the most horrific tortures against one another. And echoes of that are still with us and will be with us for generations to come. Some people are not gonna to wanna to admit that they have any trauma, that they have any PTSD, any of that stuff, but it's there in all of us. And so we just need to remember, kindness and forgiveness are always the best options. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a little question here. I wanted to ask, what would you have said to your younger self as an activist? I was pretty, uh, for some reason, unruly when I was I was young. I hated the bride dolls that I got. I hated the uh, the slips they put on you in the fifties and the sixties. And the you know, I came from a partially Sicilian family where they dressed the girls up and kind of reeled them out, and it was like wanted you to marry a doctor or a lawyer. I had no interest whatsoever in stuff. I, I would just tell my younger self to keep fighting, which I did, but I would say, you don't know everything. And that when you're very, when you're very young, you think you do. Um, and, and I knew that when I was an anti-war activist too, and I got punched out by a Vietnam vet in the jaw when I was very young. And it was, I deserved it. What I said was not smart. Activism and change takes a lot longer sometimes than we expect and try to be more patient and not think everything is gonna happen as soon as you tell people that they're gonna say, oh yeah, that's the way. <laughs> 
that's the way it is. So yeah, I would I would have told my younger self to keep the energy against things, but wise up and it takes a it takes a long time and, and you'll learn more as you go along. <laughs> and I guess uh I would tell myself um that community is important and that um, if there's no community for you and for people like you, then you need to create one. Uh, I was afraid to reach out to other people like myself, other people who might have been like myself uh, when I was young. I didn't come out until I was 39. I don't know if the world was ready for me earlier, but there were people, Virginia Prince was out in the 60s, oh, yeah. you know, there were people who were out um, in those days when I was so deeply closeted and afraid and ashamed. Um, oh, so even more important than that is locate the stigma on the culture, not on yourself. Exactly. The culture is the problem. You are not the problem. Your desires are natural. If they involve harming someone else, then you got to do something about them. You can't harm somebody else. Otherwise, you know, if you have desires, if you have needs, you know, treat them as natural, and anybody who says they're unnatural is just wrong. You were born into this world. Some would say God created you. Um, you are not unnatural. Everything is on some level natural, and don't blame yourself. And f fight back. When Nancy says she's moderate, there are moments when well, she's until not. You put a <laughs> until you put a no such thing as a short answer from us, I'm sorry. How do you keep your energy and your spirit high in times of hopelessness? Drugs, good drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, read a book, a wonderful book by Jane Goodall that is uh, how to have hope in very difficult times. And I highly recommend it. It's a small book, uh, not very expensive. But the things that she had seen on a global level and the hope that she has to keep going uh, is phenomenal. And particularly when we're fighting big fights that, you know, we don't always win. Uh, it, it helps me to, to keep hope. And waking up and kind of having uh, a vision and hope in yourself is wonderful. I tend towards depression, and I tend to get disgusted with the world. Um, but I find that getting out, meeting with other community members, and working together towards solutions to these things is incredibly empowering. Disrupt your cycle a little bit and uh, go to a meeting, go to a demonstration, go to a lecture, uh, go to something. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Community-driven is great. It's like you. It is very much like me. It reminds <laughs> me very much of myself, I have to say. Even the way that you two are and our, our sort of dynamic. dynamic we're and, not married. Yeah, we're actually, not married. But, no. <laughs> we're not together, even. And it takes both, doesn't mm, it? Yeah, I really think so. It does. I couldn't do it without yeah. you. You couldn't do it without me. No, I definitely couldn't. Mm. Yeah. Well, you two are quite wonderful. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys are great. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're wonderful you. interviewers. <laughs> you, give us, you give us so much hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really okay, so <laughs> can you tell us about a moment or a story of when you felt pride? I felt pride when we were observing the Transgender Day of Remembrance in Boston. Oh, yes. And when we had a, a nice loud PA system there, and we had a lot of people in a circle with candles, remembering our people who had been murdered. And I was just going at it on the microphone and I heard myself echoing, echoing off the buildings. Yeah, off the buildings all around. In We're in the Boston Common, amazing. which is yeah. this park in the middle of Boston with tall buildings all around it. And so you could hear, I could hear mm -hmm. myself echoing and I just felt so proud. Just the way that the community came together just made me so proud. I, I remember, 
I was helping collect uh, donations, which we gave uh, to a group that helped uh, homeless the transgender uh, trans, trans people. Oh, that one. And yep. I was working with the, I don't know if you know who the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are. Yes. yes. Yeah. Who I admired uh, so much. Wonderful, group. And I always admired them. And so uh, we were doing the collecting and a couple of them looked at me and they said, we don't usually do this, but would you like to join <laughs> the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? We were chased one time in Albuquerque when we were holding hands. We were in a park. We heard a car squeal. The tires. Yeah. And I said, Nancy, that's never a good sign here. She said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I said, oh, I think we should worry about it. So we're holding hands and this car comes down the street and they have darkened windows and it came up almost to hit us. And I said, run, Nancy. And uh, I said, run into that yard. She goes, we can't go into anyone's yard. I said, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> and I can remember we were hiding behind a car because it was very, very late. It was probably one in the morning. And I just remember holding Nancy and so afraid that, yeah, they might hurt us both, but, but they were going to hurt Nancy uh, more. And after a long, long time, we felt it was safe because they went up and down the street and up and down the street. And after a long time, I remember uh, we came out and we held hands and we walked back to the house and I, I was just I, I was just so proud to be with Nancy and mm. uh, and that she was okay that oh. it, it meant <laughs> yeah I was so worried about her oh you too <laughs> look yeah. what you've done to us but <laughs> <laughs> yeah beautiful sentiment to yeah, take away from a really really, is. really you've got each other in this and I think that's what's really been a sentiment from the very start I think mm. What I did like was a really was a good playmate. <laughs> Seems like you got one. Yeah. And I think that in the best way. From the time I was very young, from the time I was a kid, I just wanted somebody I could play with all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, Gurdine has been that for me. Wow. And we, our play is mostly activism these days. Yeah. <laughs> we do one kind of a kind of whether we're writing or organizing or attending meetings or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Same here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So, honestly, that was beautiful to talk to you. Thank you for giving us the time. Yeah. To speak. Well, thank you to for having us. Thank, thank you for the work that you you do. I I listened to a little bit. Uh, you were talking about Sylvia Rivera. Uh, we had interviewed her actually. Whoa! No way. I did in look at index we interviewed Sylvia Rivera and I said Sylvia I heard you through the first bunch <laughs> yeah. uh, what was it was it no my dad was it up oh yeah and she goes honey it was the second <laughs> <laughs> um if, if I could ask you please Nancy to potentially read the quote the being the reason that you, we found you, yeah. we'd love to hear what you said at Stonewall. Was it Stonewall 25? I think it was. Oh, 25, I 1994, I which would have been the year I was born, actually. Wow. Is... <laughs> I didn't know this quote was in Leslie's book. Oh. Um, but um, I worked with Leslie. Yeah. 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 And Andy Bruce. Um, yeah, they, we were, they were with us when we demonstrated in Falston, Nebraska at the trial of the murder of Brian and Tina, mm. which, which was the first nationally organized demonstration on behalf of transgender people. Okay. Uh, so it's Stonewall 25. I don't know how I got myself on stage, but somehow I got myself into the lineup. I don't know if she finds a microphone. <laughs> 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 so here's what I had to say. It's time to root out the imposition of gendered behavior stereotypes from all aspects of our lives 
ending gender oppression means encouraging our children to experiment with alternative gender expressions, ending segregation of boys from girls, encouraging kids to choose their own clothes, hairstyles, interests, in short, their own gender and supporting their choices. We can create a culture where diversity causes not fear, but pleasure. Men and women find each other not opaque and threatening, but reasonable and accommodating, where partnerships yield not disappointment, but fulfillment. When our culture no longer imposes gendered expectations, men will open themselves up to life's delicate beauty, and women will live in greater confidence and security. It is not gender which causes problems, rather it is the imposition of a gender on an individual by another. When the imposition is removed, polarity of masculine and feminine may remain, but as personal preference rather than imposed imperative. Penises, breasts, and vaginas will once again become body parts rather than regulators of behavior and identity, and we'll all breathe a little easier. Ah. So good. So good. This is the message I think we all need to hear why I think it had so much of an effect on me is because yeah. the binaries, they're not something to be scared of and it's not about removing masculinity or removing femininity, it's about allowing people to explore it through their life peacefully, you know, mm. without force. And I think that's yeah. what we all forget, what's getting really lost in all of this debate, you know. We, we raise our children, uh, a lot of times we distract them from what they want by offering them an alternative. Do you want this or do you want that? And so children learn in binary terms. Mm -hmm. You can have that, this or that. And so we're all indoctrinated to binary thinking from an early age. And, yeah. uh, it's very narrowing. It's very limiting on us. Um, it's great for technical work, but it's not <laughs> great for, for society and for individual fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a way. Great. What a... Well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. We have had an amazing conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. So much. All right. Well, thank you, Gordine. Yeah. And Nancy. That's. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Elaboration. Yeah. Solidarity. <laughs>